Now, last week in our topic of dealing with messed up people, the idea is that it is God who deals with the messed up issues in messed up people's lives. And we are all messed up. Amen? Okay? So that's God's dealing. Now, what does God ask of us? We ask, he asks us to behave in a Christ-like manner toward one another. That's what it's all about. And you look at Christ. Uh, let's just turn together. John 3.16. We all know that one, right? John 3.16. Let's uh, say this together, okay? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let's continue with verse 17. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Amen? Now let me take you over a page to chapter, well, maybe two pages, to chapter 6. Let's look at verse 39. You remember here, it says that he sent the Son into the world not to condemn it, but, the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So what does this tell us of the will of the Father? Take a look at verse 39 of, of chapter 6. <clears throat> it says, And this is the Father's will, which hath sent me, this is Christ speaking, of course, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. So the Father's will is all about saving. That's what he wants. He wants everyone to be saved. It doesn't mean that everyone will be saved because he allows us free choice. But it is his grand will, that is the ultimate will of the Father and of the Son, is to save as many as will be saved, um, as many as will choose to be saved. Now, in looking at that, thinking about that, we'll uh, begin our, our discussion today with our scriptural reading, Hebrews chapter 5. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 5 again. Now I'm going to uh, take a look at this from the New Living Translation because it puts it in English, it's a little easier for us to follow. Okay? It says, starting in verse 7, While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. Okay, so God could save him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his reverence for God. Okay? Now think about that. Did God save him from death? He died, right? But did Christ die eternally? No, he lives again. Okay, so ultimately, he did live again. Um, but now just think about that. That didn't mean that he didn't die. Now look at the next verse, verse 8. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience through the things he suffered. Now, some of the versions will say a son. That's because they like to get rid of the divinity of Christ. But uh, this is speaking of him being God's son, okay? Just want to make sure that's clear, because some of the versions kind of mess that up. 
So even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience through the things he suffered. You, you understand the, the point there, the message there? He was perfect. But even in being God's son, being the perfect son of God, he still learned obedience through the things he suffered. How are we any, in, in any better place than he, right? How are we finding ourselves to be at such an exalted status above the Son of God that we should not have to learn obedience through suffering? Let's take a look at verse 9. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest, and he became the source of eternal salvation for those who obey him. It doesn't say he became the source of salvation for everyone. There's a stipulation there. Verse 10, For God designated him to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Verse 11, There is much more we would like to say about this, but it is difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basics about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and can't or cannot eat solid food. Okay? Yeah, we're going to keep going here. <laughs> now, what is Paul trying to say here? Paul wanted to talk straight to the people. Okay? These are converted Jews that he's talking to in this situation here. He wanted to talk straight to them about how to live a life that is transformed by Christ. Christ living in you. Christ living his life through you. Okay? But he couldn't tell them the truth because they could not understand it. And why couldn't they understand? It was because of their spiritual weakness. They didn't understand spiritual things. They're, they had a lack of spiritual perception. They were just looking at the material world. They were looking at what I can do in my strength, what I can do to make myself good in the sight of God. Do you understand? They weren't looking at things from a spiritual perspective. They had become very, what we would call secular. Um, they didn't have spiritual depth. It, was, it wasn't the fault of their instructors, okay? It was their own fault. You could say they weren't the sharpest tools in the shed, okay? But why? Why would they not be the sharpest tools in the shed? Unfortunately, they didn't use the time and opportunity to gain a more intimate knowledge of their Savior. God had given them these many advantages, they, they had the possession of Scripture. They had great teachers among them, prophets among them. Uh, you know, John the Baptist, the greatest of the, pro of the prophets, he had been right there. But they hadn't taken advantage. As a consequence, their memory was weak because they did not see the truths taught to them as a matter of life and death. Do we have that happen sometimes? We, we hear truth, we go to evangelistic series and things, and we see Bible study pamphlets, 
And we think, oh, well, that's nice. That's the truth. But does it make an impact in our hearts and minds? I mean, do we really realize that this is something that can revolutionize people's lives, that can bring life to someone's life who's drowning in sin and sadness and not understanding the loving God that we serve? You, you see what I'm saying? You realize that most, I have to say, probably all of the false doctrines that are out there in one way or another reflect poorly on God's character and make him out to look like some kind of a bad guy. All right? So th this is an issue. They could not retain in their minds the truths essential to success in building a Christian character, a Christ-like character. Those are the truths that we find in Scripture. They were more caught up with the rites, the rituals of their rabbinical code than they were with the things of God. Okay? You might say they were caught up in the formalities of their religious experience. Paul points out that this failure to take spiritual things seriously had become their spiritual illness. Their own misconceptions gave them an unclear understanding of Christ's power to transform the lives of his people while they are still on earth. Do you think we might suffer the same misconceptions? Hmm. Let me read you a little something on that note. This is a quote from the book, The Adventist Home, page 16. Starting in, in, in paragraph 2, it says, The character you bear in probationary time, which is the time in which we're living, will be the character you will have at the coming of Christ. If you would be a saint in heaven, you must first be a saint on earth. The traits of character you cherish in life will not be changed by death or by the resurrection. You will come up from the grave with the same disposition you manifested in your home and in society. Jesus does not change the character at his coming. The work of transformation must be done now. Our daily lives are determining our destiny. That's pretty clear, right? Nothing too questionable or unclear about that. So yes, the condition of the Jews in Paul's day does represent the condition of many people, of many of the people of God here today. You, you've heard it. Oh, well, we, we, we won't ever be perfect here on earth. We, we can't do it. You remember at the crossing of the Jordan, before the, that took place, before the 40 years again wandering in the wilderness, that this, they had sp sent spies into the land. You remember that story? Only two spies came back giving a good report. That was Caleb and Joshua saying, yes, we can go in and conquer. The Lord has brought us this far and he will take us through. It's not by our power, but by his. The rest were saying, we're not powerful enough to do it. We're like grasshoppers in the sight of the giants in the land, right? They were looking at their ability, what they could do, and they saw it was impossible. Were they right? It was. For them, by themselves, it was impossible. But Caleb and Joshua saw that with God, how much is possible? All things, right. So we have to have a proper perspective of 
God and what he is capable of. We have been given all kinds of advantages and privileges. I cannot imagine what someone like Martin Luther would have thought if he had seen my Bible collection. You know what I'm saying? I don't know, for some of you, some of you have seen my Bible collection. But you know, the, the physical Bible collection is one thing. Then I've got the Bible collection on my computer. And that's outrageous. Uh, you just think of the privileges that we have today. And I realize that as a minister, I have a huge responsibility for all that God has allowed me the privilege and, and opportunity to study, because I have time that others don't, and I thank him for it, to be able to study his word and understand things, but I also understand there's a huge responsibility with that. And that's why I feel very privileged to be able to stand up here and share uh, the things that he's shown me. Now, you see that there are many of us who admit to feeling the burden for God's work, right? We, we see that there's a great work to be done out there in the world. But instead of being teachers, like it was saying there in Hebrews, but instead of being teachers as we could be, um, we find that we oftentimes have a hard time applying the plain word of God even to our own lives. Right? Now, do you think that people who are having a hard time applying God's word even to their own lives and definitely don't see themselves being able to teach anybody, do you think that they are someone who is really recognizing the value of Bible truth. See? And I'm talking to myself here, too. Do you think they are strengthening the church? These are things we have to consider. Let's take a look at Matthew verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 24. Matthew 16, verse 24. Here we see Jesus speaking again. Matthew 16, 24. And it says, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So there is something to be done if you are his disciple, right? He's, he said unto his disciples, If anyone, if any man will come after me. So in other words, if we are going to be a disciple of Christ, if we're going to follow Christ, we have to deny ourselves, take up our, our individual cross. It doesn't say to take up his cross. This is to take up our cross. Whatever burden we might have to bear, whatever we might have to suffer, and follow him. If, as God's people, we had completely surrendered our lives, as this scripture indicates, wholeheartedly to Christ from the first time we received the truth, we'd be receiving his character into our lives. We would recognize that we owe Christ everything and wouldn't be half Christians and half secularists. You know what I'm saying by that? World-loving, just, you know, out there. Instead, we would be wholehearted Christians, believing and practicing the word, constantly walking in the light of God's word. We wouldn't be hung up making excuses for why we are the way we are. We would be stepping up to the plate, okay? 
We wouldn't be shirking our responsibility. We would be stepping up to the plate and proclaiming Christ as the Lamb of God that, what? Taketh away the sin of the world. Here and now. He doesn't do it sometime in the future. He's doing it in our lives here and now. He is the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. That's what the Bible tells us. Too many who should be very advanced in Christian experience give evidence that they are still spiritual toddlers. This is something I've learned in life. People can be very advanced in years and not be as spiritually mature as people that are younger than them. Okay? It's, it's one of those touchy areas because as young people, you have to always remember to respect your elders. We, we should always respect one another in general, right? But it is true that age does not bring holiness in and of itself. And that's a mis misconception that we find prevalent in the world. You look at the Catholic Church. Why, they consider themselves the most holy of all because they consider themselves the most ancient of all the churches. Of course, they forget about the Jews. But anyway, they're looking at Christ and saying, oh, well, the Jews rejected Christ, so then they don't count. Um, but you see what I'm saying? We have this tendency even with music. The older it is, the more holy it is, right? That's how we look at it. Uh, anyway, age does not bring holiness in and of itself. That's the point. Okay. So, as I was saying, you end up seeing people who, even though they are advanced in their Christian walk, so to speak, as far as years spent in the church, years spent proclaiming themselves to be Christian, they are still spiritual toddlers. And what is the characteristic you see in toddlers? Their greatest desire is to carry out their own plans. Right? Okay? While plans, principles, and instructions that God has given to them, they declare, cannot be followed for one excuse or another. You see the similarity between how a toddler acts and how we might act? Well, in Scripture, we see in the book of Deuteronomy, and I'll go ahead and let you all start looking toward chapter 7 of Deuteronomy, um, in, a, in very clear terms, the Lord laid out what his plan was for his chosen people, what his purpose was for them, and the conditions under which they would be made successful. Let's take a look at Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 through 11. And I'm going to read this out of the New King James Version because it's a little bit clearer. <clears throat> Starting in verse 6. It says, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. Now look at this verse, verse 7. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people. For you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, 
from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So we understand that uh, we might not be the most in numbers, right? Look around. We might not be the most in numbers, but God has chosen us. He's chosen us for a reason. And we'll get more into that as we go along. Look at verse 9. Therefore, know that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations of those who love Him and keep His commandments. Do you think we're still within a thousand generations of, say, Abraham? Definitely. You, you go back and you look at the generations. I, I, I love chronologies and looking at those kind of things. And we definitely are still in the thousands. So we still are within God's covenant. So, he keeps his covenant to those who love him and keep his commandments. And he repays, look at this, this is the other side of the coin. He repays those who hate him to their faith to destroy them. He will not be slack with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. Verse 11, Therefore you shall keep the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which he commanded you today to observe them. Okay, so there's conditions on all of this, you see? There's conditions on how God will prosper us. God chooses workers whose motives are based on the love of Christ. Okay? Whose desires are centered on hearing His voice and obeying His word. That's what it's all about. Their capabilities may be limited, but they are loyal. And loyalty is far more valuable in God's sight than just knowledge. I have heard people say that uh, priests in the Catholic Church or monks, they ought to be the holiest of all because they spend their whole lives devoted to the study of God's Word, right? But are they loyal to God's Word? Are they loyal to the God of heaven or are they loyal to the Pope and the councils and the traditions? You see what I'm saying? That is the issue. God is looking to use serious individuals with heaven-based principles. And that's the issue. Heaven-based principles. But he will not tolerate in his work anyone who is lukewarm, secular-minded, or self-exalted. Anyone who has uh, buried their talents will be replaced by others who will put their God-given talents or opportunities uh, into his hands. They have placed their abilities, all that they have, into God's hands and into his service. Christ's workers will do Christ's work, combining patience and diligence. As his servants, they will do whatever missionary work they find close at hand, reaching people that have not had an opportunity to hear the truth. That's what God calls us to do. God's Word tells us that the Gospel is to be preached in all parts of the world. This requires volunteers to work with God, to work for God. 
One lone Bible worker cannot be the contact point for all of Modesto, right? Okay? This is my personal plea here. <laughs> I cannot be the personal contact point for all of Modesto, much less the entire world, right? There is a need for individuals to work as Christ did to find a way into the hearts of those who need the truth. God sets up the divine appointments. Pray for those appointments. That was the beginning of my ministry, and I thank the Lord for showing that to me. I was working in a factory where I thought there's no way on earth that I will find anyone to witness to because I was in an isolated workstation, far away from anyone, and where the equipment noise was horrible. You could hardly talk to anyone without just having to shout at the top of your lungs. I remember getting hoarse when I had to train someone, and they had to be there next to me, and I had to talk to them during the training, and I was going hoarse, trying to speak over the noise. And yet I prayed for an appointment. And of all people, the forklift operator who brought me my stuff, who was down at the bottom of the scaffold, he looked up at me day after day. And, then, and one day as we're walking out of the plant at the end of our shift, he says, how come you smile so much? How come you're so happy? And I got to start a conversation there that lasted for four hours and led to Bible studies, and he is baptized this day. I, I praise the Lord for what he can do when we ask for those appointments. Now, another point is that it is his spirit that convicts and converts. Okay, so God sets up the appointments. He convicts and converts. This friend of mine, he loved those games, those shoot shoot em up games, you know, Black Hawk and whatever else. He loved those things. Like crazy. It's amazing to me, they say that the median age for the guys that are addicted to those games is actually 30. That was what I read somewhere. I'm thinking, you mean you've got a bunch of 30-year-olds out there that are addicted to this stuff, that miss work, miss wives, miss children, miss all this stuff so they can just get dexterity enhancements? I don't know. I don't understand. I guess, they, I guess they, they hate reality. That's all I can figure, is that they must hate reality. Um, and I understand the world can be a depressing place. That's true. But God has better things for us to do, amen? Okay. So anyway, I, I was aware of this because when I would come over to do the Bible studies with him, this was the thing that was going on. Every single time, he, he would um, feel kind of, like, well, maybe, maybe I should turn my game off uh, so that we can study. I'm like, well, if you want to just turn the volume down, that's okay. It don't bother me. You know, because, of course, he didn't want to lose his place in the game because he put it on pause, you know. But anyway, I never said anything. We just kept on studying the Word. And you know, he came to me in the break room at one point, and he said to me, you know, I, I was studying my Bible this morning when I woke up, and I went out, as my normal routine is, and I turned that machine on, and I thought, you know, this doesn't jive with what I was just reading. And he said, what do you think? And I said, it sounds to me like the Holy Spirit's talking and you're listening. He smiled ear to ear, and you know it made a change in his life that if I had gone in there and told him, that isn't something God approves of, you know, killing vicariously is 
Not good. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, but you see my point. It's God's Spirit that convicts and converts, and it makes a difference. Whereas, you know the old saying, you lead a horse, a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And a man convinced against, against his will is of the same opinion still, right? I, I say those all the time because they're so true. You can go out there and you can hammer somebody with the truth, but mm, it's not going anywhere if, they, if they're not feeling convicted in their own heart, okay? So, folks, we have a work to do. God has his part, we have our part. It is not enough for us to fold our hands and say, Hooray for me! I have the light of truth. Okay? The question is, are you walking in the light? If we claim to be Christians, we ought to make a steady advancement in Christ's work as he did. He was constantly moving forward. Remember what the Bible says. Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. This is talking about those who are doers of the word and about how they will be justified before God. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Amen? Now you hear in the world today, oh, you know, it doesn't really matter our religion. It doesn't really matter who's going where. It's all church. It's all Christ. We all say Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Well, look at this. It's saying, look at that. There's people that are saying, Lord, 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 right? There's, there's those people. But Christ himself right here in Matthew 7 is saying, they shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So there is a difference. You see? They can be saying Jesus, Jesus, Jesus all they want to. But if they're not doing the will of the Father in heaven, you know? Now, you've got to remember in context, I know I'm speaking to Seventh-day Adventists here. This is saying those that do the will of the Father. Now, you can be doing all the right things for all the wrong reasons, and we might fall into that trap also, okay? We might be following biblically all of what is truth, but doing it for the wrong reasons, with the wrong motives. The, what's the will of the Father again? Do you remember? He wants to save everyone. And you look at the writings of Paul in Romans, and you see how he plays off like, you know, there's things that we do when we're among the Romans, there's things we do when we're among the Hebrews, you know, the, the Jews, you know, you, you, you know, when in Rome, you know, as they say. They're, the ultimate goal of everything is to save as many as possible. That's the whole point. And so if it is not going against the heaven-born heaven principles, you can do it. It may not be exactly what you would choose to do all the time within your life, but as long as it's not going against the principles of heaven, hey, you know, you, you look at the, uh, the Sabbath Keepers Biker Club down here in Ceres. They are doing a great work. Maybe not all of us would feel comfortable <laughs> in their meetings, in their gatherings, 
but they are doing a great work, and they are abiding by heaven-bound, heaven-based principles. And that's the important thing. Now, to walk in the light is to walk in the path of obedience all the way to heaven. That's the point. God is asking for people to be like Christ, and Christ led a life of obedience. He's our example in all things, Scripture says. To know the Lord is to know His law. I don't know how many of you have ever seen that. In, in a lot of uh, the evangelistic series, they'll put up a slide that shows the attributes of God in His character, and then they'll put up the attributes according to Scripture of uh, the law, and they are synonymous. In other words, God's law and God's character are one and the same thing according to Scripture. And yet people want to get rid of God's law as though it were something bad. Well, if you do that, you're getting rid of God's character. Because according to Scripture, they are the same thing. Um, <clears throat> you ought to understand, with, with God's law, it is like the GPS in our hearts, keeping us from steering off the path. Through the light of God's word, we can be confident in our relationship with Christ. Look at this. People understand, where do good works, doing good things, fall into all of this? If, if we aren't saved by our good works, then why do good? Well, look at 1 John chapter 5. Let's take a look there. 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. 1 John 5, verses 2 and 3. It says in 1 John 5, verse 2, By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep His commandments. Right? So, oh, well, let me go ahead and finish the next verse. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Okay? So if you understand God, you know God, his commandments are not going to be burdensome. And yes, you will be keeping them. But look at the purpose here. It says, by this we know. So in other words, what this is saying is, why do good? Well, there is another place in Scripture where it says that God created us for good works. That's why he made us. He made it, or that's how he made us. He made us to do those good things anyway. So it's not like we're doing good because it's getting us somewhere. We're doing good because that's what we're supposed to do. That's what we were made to do. But here we see that by this, we know that we love the children of God. In other words, we know that we love each other when we follow his commandments and when we love God. You see that? It's kind of like our internal thermometer. You know, if, if you're hot with God, or if you're cold with God, look at, look at we as individuals, look at our own lives. Remember, the Bible tells us not to be judging one another, but we are supposed to judge ourselves. It does tell us to look at ourselves, to examine ourselves. That's how it says it. We're to examine ourselves. So you look at yourself in relation to God's Word, and it says, by this we, when we look at ourselves, we know whether or not we love the children of God, whether or not we are loving God, right? 
whether or not we have the love of God in our heart. Now, in looking at this, we have to realize that spiritual life, like physical life, requires constant growth and renewal, or else what? You're dying, right? True spirituality, you could say true religion, is constantly seeking to do the right thing from the right motives in relation to God and man. I'll say that again because this is a distillation of a whole lot of study that I've done. This phrase captures it. True spirituality, true religion, okay, if you want to know what real religion is, okay, it is constantly seeking to do the right things, in other words, righteous acts, to do the right things from the right motives in relation to God and man. Okay? In these relationships, we are to constantly increase in our usefulness. In other words, we're supposed to get better and better and be of more and more good to everyone, including God. Of course, if you're, if you're good to God, then you're good to everybody else too, right? Our minds are to be so completely connected to the mind of our Redeemer that when He comes, it will be like a reunion between two long-lost friends. You get the picture? We are all just migrant workers here on earth. Think about this. I, I chose this illustration because we live in the Central Valley and we have a lot of migrant workers. Maybe we can relate to this. We are all just migrant workers here on earth and we ought to be working without rest because we know the harvest is about over. At that point, there will be no more work. You know how hard these migrant workers work all through the harvest season? And how, what about the rest of the year? You know, there comes a time when they can't find work. They, they're hard-pressed to get extra money. You know, if they, if they don't ration out the funds that they've got, that they've made during the harvest time, during the planting season, you know, they've got their two seasons, they've got the planting and they've got the harvest. If they don't watch their money... They end up broke. It's a bad, bad situation. There's only, a, there's only a given time when work is available. That's the point. And we are in the same situation with earth's harvest, the harvest of souls. Let's take a look at Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 12. And I'm going to be paraphrasing this because I, I want it to make a certain kind of impact here. And uh, I'll be doing my uh, paraphrase out of the English Standard Version. But I'm even modifying it a little bit because I want it to make a better impact. You'll see why. This, I believe, ought to be the motto of all Christians. Okay, this should be our motto. What we live by. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained or am already perfect, but I Press on to make it my own. And why? Why do I press on to make it my own? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Yet, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Okay? So I haven't made it my own yet. But one thing I continually do 
and that is forgetting what lies behind in the past and straining forward to what lies ahead in the future. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He calls us to something far better in our future. He doesn't want us to get drugged down and hung up on the past. That's what justification is all about. Christ died so that our record can be wiped out, covered by his blood, and we can walk on forward in the way that he's asked us to, following his example, letting his spirit live in us and through us. It's not I, but Christ. That's what scripture says. He's the one who does the work. How many of us would like to make this our motto today? Now, let's bow our heads and ask the Lord's blessing on our lives from this point forward. Our kind Heavenly Father, I pray that as people have made the decision, Lord, to surrender their lives to you, to make this their motto, that they will move forward, forgetting the past, the things that have hurt them, the things that have drugged them down, the things that have gotten in their way, that they would just keep straining forward to that upward calling of Christ Jesus. He's calling us to a better life, to a life where there will be ultimately an earth made new, where there will be no more sorrow and no more tears. Lord, we know that you've called us to carry our cross, whatever burden you've given us, Lord, that you've allowed to come on us in this life. We look at the stories in the Bible of great men like Job who had to endure much, but Lord, it was all to bring honor and glory to your name. We have to remember, it's not about us, it's about you. It's about justifying your name, justifying your ways. Lord, you are the one who brings people to you, who converts them and brings them into a new life. You transform from within, and that is what changes the outside. And I just pray, Lord, that we can see things from your perspective, that we can live our lives pointing others to you, bearing witness for you as you've asked us to, because that is the declaration of Scripture that you've asked us, Lord, to be your witnesses, to let people know what you have done and are doing and will do for them. We're so grateful, Lord, and pray that we will be faithful to the calling that you've given each one of us. We pray all these things in the holy name of Jesus. Amen.